All right. Uh, thank you, Robin. Um, I'm Stephanie, and I'm an alcoholic. And um, I will say that um, in addition to being able to show up for life so, you know, I show up sober. I mean, like, that is, a, it is important. But the biggest thing that AA has given me is um, is diff- a different kind of relationship with the people that I already had relationships with and the relationships and the people that I have met and people that I get to watch um, go through difficult things and and go through great things and uh, learn and grow in here. So that is, um, when I first got sober, it, um, just coming back and it's so, it's so great to have the little lights up in here. Um, because when I first got sober, um, it was that sense of like, there's some light and there's some air in here. And, um, that's what kept, I, I got sober. I I came in through Al-Anon, seven years of Al-Anon, lots of Al-Anon. And then I got sober by coming to a meeting here every day, coming to about eight or nine meetings a week here, uh, every week. Um, and it was just the place where I could kind of breathe and be okay for a little bit. And um, I, I really I, I had this feeling of like being kind of like out on a spacewalk. I would leave here at 9.15, 9.30 at night and be like, I just got to make it back tomorrow night. I just got to make it back. And, um, and so that sense of light was really important to me. Um, all right. So... What it was like, um, I grew up in, in a household with uh, lots of love. Um, mom that was there all the time. My mom that called me when I got out of the car. Um, and uh, a lot of love, a lot of family around. And um, an older brother, a younger brother. We were all really close, just over a year apart. And a sister that's uh, eight years younger than me. Um, mom was there all the time. Um, dad was not there all the time. Dad was um, out working and hunting and fishing and gone a lot. Um, and neither one of my parents drank very much. I mean, there was occasion some drinking, but um, they both came from alcoholic homes. They both came from... <coughs> Uh, my mom came from a home. Uh, both of her parents are alcoholics, and both of her siblings are alcoholics. Um, and my dad was an only child and came from a, a just super angry um, <coughs> alcoholic father. Um, and and what what that did and what I learned from my mom, like that's important to me because what I learned um, from my mom to be was just like a fixer because that was her role. She was the oldest child in an alcoholic home. And she just fixed things and she took care of things. And um, if other people were okay, that's how you got to be okay, just taking care of other people. And um, so, and then in my in then my family, I learned that that became my, my role. I had an older brother. He was two, just over two years older than me. And hey, Brother two, just over two years older than a younger brother. It was about 14 months younger than me. And my older brother, when we got to be, like, he, by the time he was, like, 12 or 13, was getting in a lot of trouble. And was, um, like, his his addiction was coming out. Like, he was huffing gas, and he was doing this, and he's, you know, he had, uh, 
He was just getting in all kinds of trouble, and he had multiple DUIs by the time. Like, he'd be in prison today by today's standards. But, um, and my younger brother, he seemed to be the only, he seemed to be the one in my family that kind of escaped the, the like, the curse of overthinking, even still today. Um, but, um, so my older brother's getting in trouble. I am like the, I, I am, I'm the good kid. I'm not ever getting in trouble. I have good grades. I like, I'm quiet. I stay at home. I'm a homebody. Um, and so I developed this sense that like, everything's okay because you're doing okay. Mm-hmm. And because you're making good grades and because you don't get in trouble and because you're not causing the kind of problems that your brother's causing and you're not causing the kind of problems that your grandfather's causing because that, you know, my mom, like part of like holidays at my house were like mom going to pick up granddad, her dad, because he was drunk somewhere and it wrecked his car. Or, you know, I mean, like that was normal, normal stuff at our house. Um, grandmother's moving in, my, my grandmother is moving in because they, my, my grandparents are in a fight, so she's gonna live with us for a few months. My cousins are gonna live with us for 90 days because my, my aunt's in a treatment center. Um, lots of that going on. So uh, lots of that chaos going on around me and my mom's like managing all that stuff. Um, so that's what I learned. I learned that, um, you know, nobody told me this, like you have to be the good one, you have to keep doing this. But that was a message that I got. And so then when I got a little bit older and I didn't feel like being the good one, um, and that, and then it was just like, you just gotta lie about this shit. You just can't let anybody know that you're doing what doesn't fall into like being the good kid. And um, I, God, I have to, I'm gonna, you know, just pause for a second. Like the promises, I love the promises. The promise that I did not believe would come true for me that like was the one about you will no longer regret the past or wish to shut the door on it. Cause it's just, you know, just don't feel good to talk about shit that you did that you don't feel good about, that you, feel, that you felt ashamed about when you are a little kid. You know, you're 15, I'm 15 year old. So what I did was I got me a boyfriend. I was 15 years old. And um, I just tried to make him real happy. And um, things were going real chaotic at my house. Um, my brother probably, I probably about this time, had gotten his third DUI and was moving back home because he was doing, like, work release and shit like this. And... Um, so I just became a liar. I just became a liar. When I was away from home, I had this different life with this boyfriend and his family who was kind of crazy. Um, and I, I didn't feel great about it, but, um, and I wasn't drinking, but I was in this relationship and just felt lots of shame around it. And, um, so I just lied to everybody. And so I had like this real like kind of di- this like two lives that I was leaving, leading. And I got to, I didn't, my brother was getting in trouble. My brother was selling drugs to all my friends. He was out of high school. He was selling drugs to my friends. Not my friends, but like girls that I was on the drill team with and stuff like this. And, um, and so I stayed away from it while I was at home. It was just not attractive to me. And I got to UT. I was 17. I got to UT and... <coughs> I was immediately a blackout binge drinker from the get-go. And um, I had fr- I went to school with two friends. One, I'm 
still friends with. I'm her, the godmother to two of her kids. Um, and we drank a lot together and it was fun at first. It was a lot of fun. Um, we would go downtown to 6th Street um, in Austin um, and hang out. And um, I got to let go of that idea of like, I got to just do it all just right. I'm just going to do it all right. And I can't let anybody find out. And, um, you know, what it, part of the language that, that AA has given me is that, like, that restless, irritable, and discontent, what I thought, what, what, it, what it in my mind was, was either I'm going to be fixing everything and making it go just right, and I'm going to make you happy, and I'm going to let you do all this stuff, or fuck it, I don't even care, like, because I, I can't bear that anymore. I can't do it anymore. Um and so now I know that that's like, oh, that's restless, irritable, and discontent, and I have other things to do with that. But um, before it was like, fix it, or oh, fuck it, I don't care. Um, so I got TUT, and um, I just became, I was still, I was a good student. Um, I was the only kid, my, you know, I, neither one of my parents went to college. My brother didn't go to college. I was doing the thing. I was in Austin. Everybody was real proud of me. And um, I was doing that. I was a blackout binge drinker on the weekends and I would go home and just, my brother was sober by this time and I would go and do sober stuff with my brother and I just lived this complete double life. Um, and I just felt like just disgusting and a lot of shame about it. But I also, I also, you know, the one thing that alcohol did for me was I have this real clear memory of the first Christmas, um, that I was at UT. I had a friend whose family lived here in town and we went and maybe it was it was New Year's New Year's Eve and we went and um was and I was drinking and I woke up and like there were a bunch of people around me her at, at her aunt's house but like there were all these people around me and I remember thinking that like in another weekend that I was did not wake up at her aunt's house I woke up someplace else but I remember thinking like there, there are all these people around me that I would not ever associate sober associate with sober like I would never even imagine having conversations with these people people that, whose lives were completely different from mine and like you know anyway and I and it scared me but I also really loved it too because I was like I can just be around whoever I want to and it doesn't matter and it feels so much better and it's so much easier and so alcohol did that for me it gave me a sense that like oh god it just doesn't even matter so much it doesn't even matter so much. Like, I can't do it all perfect. Okay, so who cares? Um, and I needed that at the time. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I found myself over those years that I was at UT, um, you know, I would find myself, I would wake up places that I didn't know how I got there. And with people that I kind of remembered, but some of them I knew who they were. But I didn't always. And I had friends that would come, these two friends that I had, um, that would come pick me up. They'd say, figure out, find out where you are, and we'll come get you. And they did, and I don't, you know, like, I'm alive. I don't, you know, I put myself in some real uh, dangerous situations, but um, but I kept doing it. Um Anyway, and and so that just lasted as long as it as it could last, and it um, I don't know I never even I never even though my brother was sober and I, I because I could stop for long periods too like finals were coming 
fine. I'm not going to drink for three weeks. That's fine. I can do it. And I didn't know what that looked like. Ever, like my brother's drinking looked like him getting DUIs, him wrecking our little brother's car, my grandparents getting arrested, my grandmother breaking all the china on the kitchen floor. That's what an alcoholic looked like to me. And so I really, at the time, I was just like, I'm out of control, but I'm not an alcoholic because that's what an alcoholic looks like. And so I, I really didn't consider, I mean, I, I, I didn't consider like getting sober because I could stay sober for periods of time. Um, and so go fast forward, I uh, got married, um, got married. My mom encouraged me to get married and she told me this later because I was like, I don't know. I even thought, I'm not sure this is the best idea for me to get married. But um, she encouraged me because uh, AIDS was rampant. And she was just like, get her married off and she'll be okay. This is in the middle of in the 80s. And, um, so she encouraged me to get married. Um, I got real addicted to taking care of my two kids and it did for me. It like made me feel whole for a while. It made me feel real whole. Um, like that kick in, that, that instinct of like, just make everybody happy. Just take care of them. It works when you have little kids. It works. And I felt it, it filled me up. And, um, then, and so like I didn't, and that was another reason I was like, I can't be an alcoholic cause I, you know, I can go, I don't, I don't need to drink all the time. And, um, I would binge drink still, that would happen. Uh, I would black drink, binge drink and black out. Um, but it, I don't, I don't even know how often it happened. It happened some, and then I was in a marriage that was, uh, not, not good. Um, a lot of me trying real hard to make this person happy and um, him being real unhappy and me thinking that uh, a lot of it was just like that I'm a failure because I can't do it. I should be able to figure it out. Um, and then it, over time it caught, it got into that thing where it was like, I just tried so hard and I just am so tired of this. And it just, and then I started drinking more because I just was like, I just can't do it. I just can't do it anymore. It's just too much. Um, it's, you know, like it's killing me. Um, God, so my drinking kind of like I took a respite from that for a while and got real, you know, like codependency was my thing. And then I got divorced, ended up getting a divorce. And the, um, I was in Al-Anon. I got into Al-Anon. By this time, my kid's 15, right? So fast forward, I got the old, my older son is 15. I have two boys. And um, my older son's 15. He starts getting in trouble with drugs and alcohol. Um, and so I found my way into Al-Anon. And Al-Anon was so good for me. And I stayed in Al-Anon for seven, I was very active in Al-Anon for seven years. Um, I, if you don't know, Al-Anon has the exact same steps. There's one word that's different. It says, instead of saying alcoholics, it says others. And I worked the steps and it made my life, it made my life so much better. And I needed Al-Anon all along growing up, but it made my life so much better. But one of the things that it did was it took away this ability for like this codependent, I'm gonna fix everybody and everything. That didn't work for me anymore. Like I got rid of that behavior in a, in, in a lot of ways, not completely, unfortunately, but I got rid of that and I started drinking more again and I got into a relationship. Uh, I got into a relationship with a man that was married and I was in and out of that relationship for 
a really, really long time. Um, and I would stay sober for long periods. And then, and I had a higher power at that time that um, worked in most circumstances. I got real, after I got divorced, I got real religious. I was going to church all the time. I was going to, I was going to adoration all the time. I was in the chapel all the time. And, and looking back on it, I think it helped keep me sober a lot of nights. I would just go sit in the chapel, just go sit there by myself. Night after night after night, I loved it. Um, and and I had this God that I trusted most of the time, but sometimes it just wasn't working out, and it was just too painful. And so I started drinking more, and um, started you know started blacking out more and doing going back to that stuff again, and and finding myself in situations as a forty something year old woman, divorced woman with two kids and finding myself again in situations of like, I kind of remember how, what got me here when I would get up in the morning. I remember waking up in the morning more than one time and thinking I could have run over another human being and would not know it at this moment. And, you know, looking back, I think, God, you would think that one, one time like that would be enough to wake up and think there could be, you know, human remains on my vehicle and I wouldn't know it. But it was not enough to keep me sober. So, um, were, I mean, like, kept going back to the to thing. And Alan, the other thing was, I would get enough traction to leave the, the relationship where the guy was, you know, he's moving in and out of his house and just, it's chaos. Um, I would get enough traction to stop seeing that person in Al-Anon for a while, but would go back. And it was just such an addiction. And then um, that, that, that was, that, when I, you know, like, after I got sober, that changed, so that was good. But one of the lowest things was just, like, going out. I mean, it just, like, I did shit, like, go to happy hour with my teacher friends, go to a wine tasting, buy a six-pack of expensive beer, put it in my purse, go to the dollar movie by myself, drink one night, and that happened and dry black. I died from blacked out. <laughs> I locked my keys in the car and walked home down the I-35 service road about three miles, four miles, I don't even know how far, um, at like, you know, midnight, like 42 years old. Um, yeah. So, I know there's something wrong. In about the last three years of my drinking, I, I, I still could quit for long periods of time. Last three years of my drinking, I... I told myself, I, I, because I've been in Al-Anon, if I can't stay stopped, I know what to do. I know where to go. That's what, that's, that was the phrase I told myself. It wasn't like, if I can't stay stopped, I'm an alcoholic. It was, if I can't stay stopped, I know where to go. That's what I would tell myself. So I started drinking. I remember twice. Or I remember, this is how I remember it. That there were two more times that I started drinking, and it, without fail, would be okay for a day or two, or maybe even a weekend. Maybe even a couple of weekends. And without fail, though, it would always end up me drinking into a blackout and then driving in a blackout. Um, and then I'd be like, done. And at the end, what it looked like was me at the H-E-B buying a box of wine. And then at the end of long, whatever, however long that lasted for me to get to the blackout, um, 
you know, driving in a blackout. That was my kind of, not my, it wasn't even rules. Like I would get there and I would open up that box of cardboard box of wine and I would cut, pull that silver bag out of there and I'd put a knife through it and it would drain into the sink and I'd be like, I'm done. Once and for all, we're done. Not, didn't feel like it was super dramatic. It was just like, okay, I'm done. I got, we're, we're good. I'm done with that. Um, so that happened two more times after, like, I, I told somebody out loud, <laughs> if I can't stay sopped, I know where to go. And then it was a while, but finally I was on April 28th, 2013. I was driving to a women's Al Anon meeting. It was nine o'clock in the morning. I was headed to Westlake and I'm driving over the, I'm on Mopac, I'm driving over the river and my car starts to shake. And I'm like, I had a new car. Like I, have, I still have the same car, it's 10 years old now. But I had a new car and I was like, I remember I had to hit something when I was driving home that night. And so I got out and I, I just barely remembered it was like there was a high, you know, it was a high curb or it was something I took a corner wrong and I got out and my rim was bent and my hubcap was hanging off. I don't know why my car, my tire wasn't flat. But I remember, um, and I walked, I looked at it and I just walked into that, the one's Allen on meeting and I sat there and I just remember I just sat there and cried. And I was just like, I'm done. I'm done like I'm 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 finally done and I came that night to the 530 meeting here like probably the only Sunday 530 I've ever been to here but I sat in the chair where you are with your hat on backwards and um and I got a desire chip that night I remember sitting in that chair because I'd visited too I'd visited here um Okay, so this then we get things get better now. Um, I visited here <laughs> as an Al-Anon. I would come. My son was sixteen, seventeen, staying sober. We go to I go to he he can move back in with me because he'd moved in with his dad. That whole thing was just like chaos and went through multiple like multiple lawsuits. The dad sued me like over and over and over and just like so lots of chaos in my life. So. Um, we come in, he was an Al-Anon, I mean, he was an AA, I was an Al-Anon, I'd sit here, but I remember even being, feeling more free, having worked the steps in Al-Anon, I remember watching people move, move around this room, and the sound of laughter and joy and freedom that I sensed from you, I, I didn't have that, and I wanted it so badly, and I, I remember, because one night I was, I, he didn't show up for the AA meeting, but I went to the AA meeting anyway, um, and it was here, and I sat in that chair, and I remember feeling paralyzed, like I couldn't get up and like go to the kitchen to get coffee, and feeling like I could just fall through a hole and never be seen again, and that would be better than like how I was living at the time. And I also remember coming to another meeting that I remember coming to, and this is like that attraction thing, right, is that I sat, on that same row I don't know why I guess my son liked to sit there I sat on the end of that row and I was sitting in a meeting and I heard somebody behind me sharing and I remember thinking I want what she has I want what she has and I remember the person because I remember the t-shirt that she had on and she still has the damn t-shirt and she is my best friend today and this was years before I got sober that I saw her um anyway so I wanted that I wanted it to be different and I came, it was for whatever reason, it was that, like, that was my last night, and I came in, and I sat down, and I was just like, I'm just done, and I wasn't, you know, I knew that I was powerless over alcohol, um, but 
I, I didn't really know. I wasn't positive. I still wasn't positive I was an alcoholic because I still had this idea that you get, you know, you get arrested, you lose jobs, you throw shit, you break shit, you crash cars. These things happen. Um, and those things, you know, hadn't happened. But I do remember I was about three months sober and I was sitting here and in a meeting and I was like, you know, I think I was just like making too big a deal out of this. I think it was the, like the relationship that I was in. I'm fine. And fortunately that I had been to enough meetings that that one, I, I realized, oh yeah, but like you try, it was like the relationship, it was not, it was bad. I'll just say it out loud. Nine years I was in and out of this relationship. And for at least seven of it, I was like committed to getting out of it. And I would get in and out of it. So I was like, oh yeah, but I couldn't until I got sober. I couldn't do the things that I wanted to. I couldn't show up and be the person that I wanted to be until I got sober. I could not get any traction on that shit. And so that thought occurred to me. And then another thought that came to me right after that, like that day when I was like, eh, maybe I'm not really an alcoholic, is that my grandmother was 86 when she died. And my grandmother was a semi-functioning alcoholic her entire life. And she would get put into the hospital because she'd fall and you know, fracture elbow or something. And she was beautiful and she kept a beautiful home and she was just like a picture of like, her home was a picture of, you know, she was like into aesthetics and she was beautiful. But she would check, she would get, get in the hospital, she'd check herself out because, I mean, she'd fall like, I don't know, she broke her hip one time, she fractured a tooth one time, or she had was having a panic attacks and she was hospitalized. All kinds of things were happening. But she would check herself out and like like we couldn't figure out for a while why she was checking herself out. Well she was she couldn't drink in the hospital. And um so I remember on that day, I was forty four when I got sober and I remember on that day I I remember thinking I could have lived another forty two years like this. Like forty two more years like this and like and so, like, that was enough. I didn't even have to know for sure that I was an alcoholic. It was like that was enough for me to keep coming back and, and to be done. Um, I am not somebody that is, you know, I have not been immune from, wa from wanting to change the way I feel. I've been sober for nine and a half years, and, and sometimes, you know, I, I don't want to feel the way that I feel. Sometimes I'm walking down the grocery, you know, I'm in the grocery store, and I'm like, there's a freaking wine display in the produce department, and it pisses me off because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to think about it. Um, but it's worth it. And um, so powerless, unmanageable, <coughs> unmanageable is I'm going to either fix it or I'm going to, you know, just I don't care. That is unmanageable. I didn't know how to find some kind of middle path of that. And um, I'm going to read a couple of things in here. One, um, let's see if I can read it now that it's dark and I, I don't have uh, um in the face of, this is on page 50, in the face of, have all this stuff, when I first got sober, like I said, I came to meetings here every single day, and I had this yellow highlighter, and I would just highlight whatever people were talking about. I'd be like, highlight that. I'm going to read that later. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. This happened soon after they uh, wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. Um... Once confused and baffled by the seeming futility of existence, 
they show the underlying reasons why they were uh, making heavy going of life. Um, there's another part. I'm going to read another thing in there in a minute. Um, so I, I believed that I could be restored to sanity. I just was not, like two, I just was not, I was afraid that there was something else wrong with me. And that if I gave up drinking, then I was just going to be tetherless, you know. Um, and so, so that was part of why, what kept me out for so long was this fear that, yeah, maybe I'm an alcoholic, but I think there's something else worse, more gravely wrong with me as a human being. And I will never be okay. And I will never feel okay. And if I give up alcohol, I don't, I can't get rid of that feeling. And I wanted to be able to get rid of the feeling that I'm not okay, that I'm not enough. Um, let's see, made a decision to turn my will in my life over the care of God as I understood him. That was something that I needed to be able to do in all circumstances. And part of what that meant was I came in here every single day. And it didn't matter if I was having a good day. And it didn't matter if I was having a bad day. And I stopped trying to manage how people saw me. Like, you can only see me when I'm doing great, you know. You can only see me. These people, oh, they know that, you know, they help me with this. And so, like, oh, I have to be kind of the sad sack when I'm with them. Or whatever it is, you know. Like, I'm constantly managing how people see me. And I didn't do that because I was just, I just needed, like I was saying, that sense of light. And being able to breathe when I got in here. I didn't care. I didn't care. I just showed up. I just showed up, showed up. I remember, and I would be like happy, happy, happy one day. And, and like, you know, there's a couple of Reese and, and Doug sitting over here and Kat sitting back there. And like, I remember I was happy, happy one day, things going great. And the next day, I'm just like crying through the whole meeting. And I felt so crazy. But it was like... I felt like I looked crazy. That was the thing. But I felt better, too. And so it didn't matter to me that I looked crazy because I was feeling better. And so I would show up. Um, you know, I'm going to say this out loud because I really am working on saying things out loud that I feel like, oh, nobody should know that. But it would be like other things. It would be like, I can't go there. I can't go someplace because I haven't washed my hair. Or I haven't, my fingernails haven't been painted. Or last time I saw them, you know, this was happening. And I would just like not engage and be a part of my own life because I was so fearful of what other people thought of me and trying to orchestrate that. And what I learned was that by showing up every day um, and just being myself, that I developed this sense of feeling like accepted and lovable because people still did love me. People still did accept me, even though I was showing all of this stuff. Um, uh, I had a sponsor for two weeks. I started, I got her because there were not there, you know, it's still like this. Bolden is still like this. There were not very many women in the meetings. And so I found somebody and I was like, she's got to be my sponsor. I had her for two weeks. And it, I wanted to avoid her. I wanted to not be at the meetings where she was. So I was like, this cannot be a good thing. Um, I got a new sponsor. I worked with her every week. I worked diligently. This is my original notebook that I had. I worked diligently. I met with her every week and worked through the steps. Um, 
it was important for me to tell her all the things and not find somebody else. To, she said, if there's anything that you don't want to tell me and you want to hold it back and you want to tell somebody else, you can do that. And it was like that thing of being able to speak and say my truth and not live a double life anymore that I told her all the stuff. And then when I remembered more stuff, I told her more stuff. And um, there's a story, and I, I've looked for it since. It probably was in another edition that it talks about we operate on the highest degree of honesty that we are capable of, and over time that grows. Mm-hmm. And and that is that is what hap- has happened. Um, let's see. My defects, you know, I look at five, six, seven. I have my, you know, I have this original list of defects. Blaming others for my own behavior, justifying my behavior. Um, I opened it up and looked at it tonight. Pride, concern with how others see me, fear of judgment, um, like false, this false sense of humility, it's being excessively hard on myself, like I should be able to be different and better than everybody else. Um, those things have changed. They've shifted for me, but they still, they're still there. I still have to work on them. Um, and, and that's okay. Um, biggest thing about making a list of the people that I'd harmed and, and, and making those amends, um, And I didn't really realize I tried to work. I made amends. I couldn't make amends to my mom when I was in uh, Al-Anon. I didn't really know what I was making an amends for because I still was really blaming her for everything. It was like her fault. I'm this way because you're this way. Um, and when I got into AA, I was able to see that. See that like, oh, yeah, you're a grown-ass woman. Yeah, she taught you that when you were 8, 9, 10, 11, whatever, you know. But you have a decision to be different today and um, to show up honestly with her, which, like, right now that means I'm staying at my sister's Christmas Eve night and not staying at my mom's. And I am old, and this is the first time I've ever gone to town and not stayed with my mother. So showing up honestly, that's one of the things that I can do with my mom. Um, That's a living amends I can make with her is that her house feels chaotic and toxic and I don't have to stay there and then resent it. Um, I love her and there's a lot of good things about her house too, but it does, it is, does feel chaotic and toxic sometimes. So what else? Uh, may continue to take personal inventory and when we're wrong, promptly admitted it. Um, I'm working on that. You know, one of my biggest thing, the thing is like the justifying, the blaming, it's somebody else's fault. It's, um, oh, I care what other people think and how they see me is being able to like say the truth, say the truth. Um, and, um, that's cause that's where the blaming comes in. You know, like I don't say my truth and then I'm mad later. I stay at my mom's house for four nights. She welcomes us. She changed, you know, she's welcoming. But then by the time I leave there, I just, I want to run down the highway because it's so painful to be there and it's because I don't say and I, you know I don't I'm not honest I'm not authentic I'm not my I, I, there's a lack of integrity there the dishonesty that I have with myself and other people sometimes makes me feel really sick still um all right um sought through prayer and meditation um 
man, this is just, I love that it um, continues to grow and change what that looks like for me. Um, sometimes it's running. Sometimes it's sitting in this quiet room and journaling in the morning. Uh, most mornings, that's what it is. Um, on my good days, on my good, it's not even a day. It's not like a day at a time. It's like one week. So I get on like, oh, let's do this for three weeks and feel better. And then let's start to feel bad again is what happens is that I sit and I meditate in the morning. I like literally read my daily readers. I sit and meditate, um, go to uh, have a real active yoga practice because that's important for me to be like kind of like I can get out of my body and be real, real busy. Like I'm going to fix it. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to make all these plans and I'm going to, I'm, I'm one of the good things and I can kind of over, I'm trying, I was talking to a friend the other day. I've just been like managing the shit out of my life and it makes me crazy. I am signed up to run for the, I've run a couple of half marathons. I'm signed up to run the Austin marathon in February. Yeah, February is when it is. The half in January. Um, which is awesome, and I love it. And I have friends that I do these do things with. But I also am just like, I'm going to do... I, I looked back through my journal the other day, and it made me feel real sick. And it was just like, I journal in the morning, but I don't go back and look at it. And it was just like, day, week after day after day after day, I was like, I'm going to do this Alan I'm meeting on this night, and this AA meeting on this night, I'm going to run this night, I'm going to work out this night. And it's just like, I feel crazy, because I'm still trying to manage everything. And, and it doesn't work for me. So I have to just back off and um, this sense of what is what is a spiritual awakening um, look like for, you know, for me. I wasn't like, this wasn't what I was planning. I'm not like, I wasn't really planning what I was saying. I knew I was going to go through the steps. But it's like, can I be like in my own space? Can I lean back and just be right here and not be like out here? what they're doing and what they're doing and what you need to do and what how I need to be doing it different and just like ch chasing things. Um, can I not be doing that? Um, and can I just be enough and be okay right here today? That is because then when I can do that, like then that's when I have something to give and I have something to share with other people is when I can just be with myself and let go of all the chasing and doing and um am I gonna be a good enough mom you know am I gonna be a good enough sister am I gonna be a good enough partner am I a good enough friend am I because my brain you know also my best my my closest friend when I came in here um, one of the things that I heard her say a couple of times, and I just didn't really understand it, was like, I have a brain that's trying to kill me, right? And now my understanding of that is that my brain tells me I'm not okay. My brain tells me I am not enough. My brain tells me I'm not ever going to be okay. And that shit will take me out because I cannot have a sense of peace and serenity if I am... <coughs> believe in that and if I cannot have that piece of serenity then I start doing stuff that makes me crazy and if I feel crazy and I go with that long enough like I am gonna like I that's what I have this thought of like I'm gonna have to drink because I cannot tolerate that for very long um 
Yeah. So, I do. I have this brain that sometimes is trying to kill me, but if I can just get back, if I can get centered, then I have something else um, to offer to other people and um, <coughs> two other things marked in here that I wanted to, that felt important to me to read. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to say, but I did not want to read these couple of things. Um, on page um, 68, um, so, so my, big, my big ones, my big defects are um, self-reliance instead of like relying on God. Um, self-pity instead of being grateful for what I got, because I got a lot of good stuff in my life. I got a lot. I got the best people in my life. Um, um, self-reliance, self-pity, self-delusion, getting out of touch with what is the reality, which is that I am okay. Um, so, if I can get out of that stuff. So, perhaps there is a better way. We think so. For we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns, just as to the extent that we do as he thinks, as we think he would have us. I'm sorry, I, like, I got good multifocal contacts. They're not working great right now. Um, and humbly rely on him. Does he enable us to match calamity? with serenity and like that is what I want because the world is full of calamity and my head is full of calamity and I want to be able to match that um with serenity um yeah so I um I was super anxious about this I haven't this is the third time in my nine and a half years of sobriety that I have been able to speak and it's just like my brain tells me it's you've been sober for nine and a half years like you should be able to do this. Like, like the pressure is, feels hard. It feels high. And, and I have this good friend. He is not here, but one of my other really close friends, Steve, um, he is driving, he's driving back to New Jersey to see his family. But he just says, you know, just, just, you know, like you're sober. It's kept you sober. Just go up there and tell the truth. And, um, and I think it's just, I, it's such a gift to be able to hear what other people say because there's so much part of our stories that can be so very, very different and that are um, the same. The space that, I felt this sense when I got in here that the space, uh, this is, I feel like this is super woo-woo, but like the space that was between us was, we separated us. And now I have this sense that, like, the space that is between us is where we can have connection with each other. And that, like, that is what I wanted. That is what I wanted. And that's what I, you know, that's why I want people to be happy with me and approve of me and to, you know, say I'm doing a good job and I'm doing okay. Because then I feel like, like, then they'll want to be connected to me. And, like, that's just not true. I don't have to do all those things for that to be true. I can just show up, and I love being able to some days when I come to a meeting, I just, I have to, like, I want to say, out, show up and say my name out loud and say, I'm Stephanie, and I'm an alcoholic, because that is okay. It is not all there is to me, but it is okay to be that. And to be, and the thing that I, I know today is that I can be an alcoholic. I can have these character defects. I can be ruled by self-reliance and self-delusion. And I can still be whole. And that is like I don't I don't I don't know, you know like 
I don't know if there's another way to get it, but I know that working these steps is a way to get it and it's a way to keep it. And um, for that, I'm grateful. So thank you for my sobriety. Mm -hmm.